Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture reading will be on the screens. It's from the New American Standard Bible, so your pew Bible will not work this time. Okay. So we're reading from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And as they used brick for stone, they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building this city. Therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And now from Acts chapter 17, verses 26 to 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is joy for me this morning to introduce you to our mission speaker, Steve Vanna. Steve and his wife, Barbara, are longtime friends who served as SIM missionaries in Ghana, West Africa, while Mary and I served as SIM missionaries in Nigeria. Stephen is presently the SIM director for Northeastern USA and travels over 20,000 miles a year, teaching courses and missions, speaking at churches and missions conferences, and meeting with missionary candidates for encouragement and prayer. SIM presently has over 5,000 missionaries working in over 70 countries of the world. They serve in the area areas of evangelism, church planting, leadership training. They serve as doctors, nurses, technicians, mechanics, engineers, elementary and secondary teachers, ESL teachers, graphic designers, computer specialists, accountants, agriculturalists, business consultants, sports coaches and trainers, counselors, social workers, seminary professors, pharmacists, physical therapists, media production, pilots, radio workers, in administrators, to name a few. If you have ever wondered if God can use your gifts or skills to help complete the Great Commission with SIM or any other mission, I know Steve would be glad to speak with you after the service today. Steve, we look forward to hearing what the Lord has placed on your hearts now for us this morning. Thank you. It is good to be here this morning. Uh, 
I appreciate Westgate, and on behalf of SIM, I'd like to thank the church very much for the support that you've been over the years. Faithful support to SIM. You, of course, have supported much of the ride-out plan and uh, the Sacres and the Fabios, and we cannot do the work that we do without folks like yourselves. And in reality, it isn't so much SIM that is working in various places of the world, but it is churches like yourselves, through your giving and through your other types of support, that really have ministry way beyond the greater Boston area. And so I do thank you for that, um, because we couldn't do what we do without folks as yourselves. Let's look to the Lord. Oh, I wanted to mention a couple other things on SIM this morning. I, my head has been playing tricks with me all week, and uh, <coughs> is playing another trick right now, so bear with me. Uh, SIM, what about us? We work in over 70 countries today, and I find that terribly exciting because God is opening new opportunities all the time. Actually, we have people that are SIM missionaries, not people that we hire, but full SIM missionaries from over 70 countries in the world today. People from India or uh, Spain or Mexico or Brazil, not just Americans and Canadians. People from Indonesia and India and China and Japan, all working together for one goal, and that is to go to the difficult areas to spread the good news of Jesus Christ where it has not been heard before and raise those people up into churches, local churches, to reach out to their own people. And then they reach out beyond their own borders. A few years ago I asked, how many mission agencies have started as a result of the work of SIM? And the person I knew, if anybody knew, should know, and he says, I really don't know. And one of the wonderful things is, is that we live in a time when not only are huge numbers of people coming to Christ, but we see people that are, we see churches maturing from the work that God has done over the last 100 to 200 years. And these people are excited about reaching out to the ends of their world themselves. So today it's not just ourselves, not just the West that is reaching out to the world, but it is the world, people going from everywhere to everywhere. And you're an important part of that, and I thank you for that. Let's look to the Lord for just a moment. Dear Fathers, we come before you, we thank you for your goodness, and Lord, we were in darkness, and you opened our eyes to see your truth, to see your light. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us into your light. Dear Father, we'd ask that you would watch over us and guide us and push us to reach out to those who have not had a chance yet to hear your good news. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for all the different ministries and missionaries that they support. We'd ask that you'd continue to bless. But today we'd ask that as we look at your word, we would see what you have for us and Lord, you might open our eyes to see if there are some here that need to be involved in ways that they have not thought of before. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Missions really is God's mission. It's not our idea. Missions was God's idea. In fact, he determined exactly what he was going to do before he created the heavens or the earth. He had a plan, and God is in the process of working that plan out. God is in the process of pushing missions and missionaries to the far ends of the earth so that people may hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And as they hear, they may be brought into the church to become part of the, part of the people of God. Everyone who names the name of Christ has been called to be part of this great mission that God is involved in. Each one of us that is here today, if we believe that Jesus has saved us from our sins, we are called to be part of that great mission of God. 
If we name the name of Jesus, if we follow him, if we look to him, then he has called each one of you today here to be part of his great mission. Some of you may be Paul's and you are called to plant. Others are Apollos's, are called to water. Or maybe you're a Timothy who is called to preach or to be a pastor or an Apollos. I mean, uh, one of the other names of the early disciples that we see have been called to various aspects of missions. And yet each one of us has been called to participate in this great enterprise. In fact, the greatest enterprise of history up to this point, that of calling people to the name of Jesus Christ so they might be with Christ and glorify God forever. Oftentimes we don't think about it, but we were made for a specific purpose. We were made to glorify God. And in heaven there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation which will glorify God forever. I don't know if that excites you or not. If it doesn't, uh, there's going to be some adjustments that are going to have to go on. But we were created to give glory to God. And we'd like to look at that a little bit this morning. I'd like to look a little bit at the overview of missions and then to look at three specific ways that God has called at least some of us to various parts of that. If we go to the first, of the first part of the Bible in Genesis, the first 11 chapters really are introduction for the rest of the Bible. And in the introduction, most of you know, obviously we have creation and we have the fall. And that introduction in chapter 11 ends with the scattering of the nations. And oftentimes we look at that and we just think that that's a, an interesting story and really doesn't have anything to do with us. And yet it is one of the primary stories of missions in all of Scripture. In fact, the Tower of Babel sets up a situation that colors all the rest of the Bible and in fact, colors eternity to come. And that is the creation of the nations, or we could say the creation of people groups. Let's look at that for just a minute this morning. We need to ask ourselves the question, why did God create the nations? The story takes place shortly after Noah. Uh, during the time of the Tower of Babel, uh, many people that would have known Noah still would have been alive. Many people probably almost everyone would have known one of his sons. And it was a time that basically you have one group of people, one family, an extended family. Uh, there may have been 40, 50, 60,000 people at this point on the earth. And it tells us in Genesis, the scripture that we read today, that they are traveling east, and as they go east, they come into this fertile plain, a huge fertile plain, plain of Shinar, area that is near probably where Babylon is today. And they look around and they say, this would be a good place to settle. There's good soil, there's water, it's flat, no rocks. Why don't we settle in this area? And so they say to each other, and they say, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so they began building the city, and they built this tower right in the middle. And as we look at the story, we might ask ourselves, why did they build a tower? Now here in New England, towers can't be seen from all that far away. But some of you, in fact, the pastor came from Kansas. In Kansas, if you ask him, it's very flat. And you can see a silo or a cell tower for miles and miles and miles. And they tell us, right in Scripture, they didn't want to be scattered all over the place. So they said, let's build a tower and everybody build your house where? 
so you can see the tower. So if you're the north and you can see the tower, or the east or the west, if we can all see the tower, then we'll be all together in one area and we won't get scattered all over the place. They obviously was a good family. They wanted to stay together. They felt comfortable with each other. Uh, they had probably good relations and they could help each other. Some of you come from large families and, and you know how it is to have your cousins and aunts and uncles all living in the same area. And, and there's a lot of benefit from that. And that's exactly what the people said here. The problem is, is God had said something earlier in Genesis. To Adam, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. God didn't want Adam's family to stay in one place, but he wanted them to spread out. We know that things didn't work out well. We come to the flood, Noah's there, and at the end of the flood afterwards, God gives a command to Noah. And he says to Noah, the same thing. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. For some reason, God wanted people not to stay just in one place, but he wanted them to scatter all over the earth. And so here we have Noah's descendants all living in one area. They've made this tower to help keep them together. And the Lord comes down. He looks at what's going on. And it tells us in verse, uh, verse 9, it says, Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. It was there that the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, God is the one that created languages. God created languages in order to scatter the people all over. And oftentimes people look at this verse and they say, oh, this is punishment. And if you've ever gone overseas and tried to learn another language, at least for some of us, it is punishment. It is difficult. And it creates all kinds of problems. And oftentimes we say, oh, it would be so much easier if everybody just spoke English. And, and I would agree with that. <coughs> and yet God, remember, to start out with Adam, he said, I don't want you all to live in one place. I want you to move around, live all over the place. And he said the same thing to Noah. And when the people refused to do it, he said, okay, you're not going to do it. I'll come down and I'm going to encourage you. And so what do you do? We change their languages. And all of a sudden they couldn't understand each other. They couldn't get along with each other. And people began spreading until they'd spread all over the earth. You need to remember that this is God's business. It's not ours. That God scattered us all over the face of the earth. Now, I think that this would have happened anyway. If Adam's family had spread, we would have had eventually different languages. Now, some of you might say, well, how could that happen? Well, any of you who have ever been a teenager or any of you who have teenagers realize that once you have a little kid in about 12 or 13, 14 years, you're going to have two languages in your family, okay? It does not take long. And in reality, uh, even beyond that, if you take a group of people and split them, uh, within just a few generations, words begin to change. And customs begin to change. You know, we have some customs here in New England that we don't have in other parts of the country. I was talking to a young girl one time. She'd finished college. She went out west to, um, to work in, the, in the California. And, uh, and then she came back and we chatted a little bit. And she said, you know, those people in California are so friendly. And, and I said, well, what's the matter with New England? You know, when people come to New England, they say, 
people from England aren't friendly at all. And, and I sit there and say, well, that's actually not true. It's just we take a little longer to get to know each other. You know, three, four generations. But, but we are friendly people. And, uh, you know, <coughs> cultures change. And so as we look at the Tower of Babel, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did God create the nations? And I'd like to suggest that while it specifically doesn't tell us, as many narratives don't give us all of the information, I believe the reason that God created the languages and created different cultures was because he wanted different cultures in order that he might receive more glory. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, think about it for just a minute. When we look around us here, we have lots of different trees and we have lots of different flowers. And I think flowers are a good illustration of, of different groups of people. Now, I like tulips. I, I like all kinds of flowers, but I do like tulips. Let's pick on them this morning. And, uh, and I don't know if you've ever looked at a tulip carefully, but, but they're beautiful flowers. And some are red. They're just a deep, deep red that you just almost can kind of fall into. Let's assume that all that there is is deep red tulips, beautiful, beautiful flowers. And so <coughs> here you are, you're in high school, and you see some young girl, and you want to impress her, and you ask her out, and so what do you do? You, you give her a tulip. <coughs> and then comes the uh, senior prom, and, and what do you do? You give her a corsage. Of course, that's made of a tulip. And uh, for graduation, receives, she receives tulips, and later on things develop, and you decide to ask her to marry you, and, and so what do you do? You give her a bouquet of tulips, and then there at the wedding, there's tulips all over the place, and if she's sick, she gets tulips, and when there's a new child, there's tulips, and when she finally dies, what do we have? We have tulips. Now, there's nothing wrong with tulips, but, you know, tulips would get a little bit boring, Sometimes it's nice to have different types of tulips. In fact, there's hundreds of different types of tulips. And then it goes beyond just tulips. Then there's daisies and there's thousands of different flowers. And God created all these different flowers. Not that there's anything wrong with any one flower, but tulips do give glory to God. They are beautiful. They do show us the Creator. But so do daisies. And so do all the other flowers. And so God, who loves diversity in that way, has created tens of thousands of different types of flowers in order what? That we may see more beauty so that he may receive more glory. And I believe that one of the things that God is doing, one of the reasons he created all the nations was so that when we stand before him in all eternity, he may receive more glory than if we were all the same. Now you might say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, each language has unique ways of saying certain things. There's some things you can say in French. Now, they're trans translatable to English, and, and actually everything in French sounds good. But there are some things you can say in French that it's, it's just so good. And if you translate it to English, it's just it's lost something. And there's some things in English that just sound really, really good in English, and you translate it to French or Russian or German, and yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it's missing something. Anybody who's come to the United States to, and doesn't speak English as, a, uh, as their first language knows this well. We have these things called idioms, and they're wonderful, but they don't translate well. And so when we get to heaven, 
people are going to stand before God and they're going to glorify God in English and, and, that, and they're going to sing to God in English. And that's going to be really, really neat because most of us can at least participate in that to a certain extent. And then there's going to be another group that's going to come up front and they're going to glorify God in French. And then there's going to be a, a group that's going to come up and they're going to glorify God in Hindi. And it's going to go on and on and on with every tongue, tribe, and nation glorifying and praising God and thanking Him for what they, He's done in their own language. And it's not just languages, and there's foods, you know, and there's all kinds of different foods. And some people really love food, and, 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 and so they glorify God through the food they make. Or maybe it's the clothing that they wear or the customs that they have. There's all kinds of ways that we do things. And God will be glorified through every one of these things. What, what a wonderful thing that God scattered the nations so that he might receive glory. Because, more glory. Because Scripture tells us what? People from every tongue, tribe, and nation are going to stand before him and glorify his name. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Genesis 1 to 11, we start with creation and sin and go to scattering. And at the end of Genesis 11... We've got people scattered all over the world. Starting in Genesis 12, God begins drawing people back to himself to create a people that will glorify his name forever. And starting in Genesis 12 and all the way through the rest of the Bible, New Testament, except possibly the last couple of chapters in Revelation, is all about this business of God gathering people back to himself. In fact, Genesis 12 really in one sense, it hasn't finished yet because we're still in the process in history. We've gone beyond Scripture now. We're into history itself and what's going on. God is drawing a people back to himself. But remember, I said mission is God's mission. It's not our idea. It's not something that we come up with and think that we can control or do or, I mean, we do participate in it. But the second verse, second set of Scripture that was read this morning is, is telling us that God really is in control of this. It's a, it's a wonderful piece of Scripture, oftentimes overlooked. Paul is in Athens, and he's on Mars Hill, and he's, he's talking with all these pagan philosophers, and, and they, they think Paul's a bit nuts to start out with because he worships up one God, and you can't see him. So what is he worshiping? The air? I mean, who is this God that we can't see? And yet Paul goes, he, they doesn't let him stop Paul at all. And he says, he says, listen guys, he says, he, that's God, made from one man, every nation under the sun, so to speak. And Paul is saying, God created the nations. And God not only created the nations, we see that in Babel, but he also appoints their times. Did you ever wonder why sometimes a nation becomes strong and dominant and then seems to fall off the, the scene. And if you go and study history, they'll say, oh, it's because of economics or political issues or, or maybe health or something like that. But the Scripture tells us God determines when nations should, when they'll exist. We don't have the Babylonians around anymore. We don't have the Assyrians around anymore. God said they're here for a time and then... They're no longer here. He goes on and he says, not only did he appoint their times, but he appointed the boundaries of their habitation. Did you ever wonder why the line between U.S. and Canada is where it's at? Well, Paul tells us God determined that's where it should be. 
I'm from, my, my grandparents are from northern Maine, and northern Maine uh, really should be part of Canada, except uh, the guys that were doing the treaty, uh, one of them realized that the Canadian, uh, his Canadian, uh, the Canadian guy that was doing the negotiating, he enjoyed drinking a little bit. And so before they began drawing the lines, he got him pretty drunk. And while he was drunk, the American drew the line a little bit higher on the map. And, <laughs> and so we could look at that and we say, ah, you know, thank the good Lord for certain spirits because uh, my grandparents were Americans. But no, no, it's not that at all. God was the one that determined it. Now, he may have used some other, way, other things to get what he wanted, but God was the one that determined that. And again, remember when we're talking about nations, we're not talking about necessarily political boundaries. Again, U.S. Canada. But we're talking about groups of people, people that have a similar culture and language and possibly religious beliefs get thrown in there oftentimes. And so God determines where people groups will be and when they will be there in a specific area. So we live in a time, and we're going, we've just begun to see the beginning of it. We are going to see some of the greatest migrations of people in history in the next 15, 20 years. In 2014, the UN report said there's 220 million people that are in the process of moving from one country to another because of problems that are going on. And so we see all of these people from North Africa and from, from Syria charging into Europe, and Europe is just over, overrun by people from all kinds of different places. And in, in, the, in the area of Boston, we find all kinds of different people groups that are in the area here. I, Tom, uh, Steve from ISI, where are you? How many people groups in the greater Boston area? I was going to say, if anybody here knows that Steve, okay, I know in the greater, in the, in the New York area, there's about 150 at least people groups in the greater New York, significant groups. And I would think there must be at least 100 different people groups in the greater Boston area. And you sit there and say, well, why are they here? And if you went and talked to them, some would say, well, I came for education. Others would say, I came because of oppression. Or I came for economic benefits. But that's not what Paul, Paul says. Paul says that God determines their times, their habitation. God determines where people should be. What? In order that they might seek God and they might hear. Steve and some of you others here work in the Boston area with various people groups. And it's such an important thing because God has brought these people here. What? So that they could hear the gospel. And unfortunately, the majority of students who usually become significant leaders within their countries come to the United States and never once have a meal in an American's home. And off they go. But then there's multitudes of others that do come and do have a meal because some Christian was concerned and do come to Christ. And so what's going on is God is determining where people should be in order that they might hear and so, really, the nations have come to our doorstep in many ways so that what? So that we here, you folks right in this church, can have an opportunity to share Christ with them. We need to always remember, though, that while it's easy to stay in our own tower, it's easy to stay with our friends and with people that speak the same language and eat the same food and have the same customs and, and understand when to stand or when to sit in church and, and we all feel pretty comfortable together. 
it's easy for us to stay in that tower and not want to go out and spread out. And it's easy to forget that 40% of all the people groups in the world today are unreached people groups. What we mean when we say an unreached people group is we're saying that 40% of the people groups in the world, distinct groups of people, don't have enough Christians in them that they could evangelize their own group. Now, some groups have absolutely no Christians. And some groups may have four, five, six. Wolf that I worked with have about 120. You say, oh, 120 Christians, that's great. That must make a nice church. You know, church, what, half the size of this church? And yet they're spread all over the country. And so they're still unreached because there's not enough wolves that they could turn around and reach out to their own people. 40% of the groups, people groups, still are unreached today. We need to remember that there are millions, there are hundreds of millions of people that have never even heard the name of Jesus. Could you imagine living in the greater Boston area all your life and never even hearing the name of Jesus? We need to remember when we think about those things is the Scripture is very clear. It says that uh, people that haven't heard the name of Jesus have no hope at all because it tells us that they must what? Believe in Christ if there's to be any hope. So there's a great challenge that's before us. A challenge that God is doing much in the world today, but He also has, there is also still much left to be done. This morning I'd like to, we, we, we live in a world that God has created. All these wonderful people groups and, and people from every one of these groups is going to stand before God and praise His name forever, and yet there's still tremendous needs. I'd like to take just the last few minutes to think of three different ways in which we can leave the towers that we live in, leave our comfort zones, and become involved in reaching out to these other people groups that have not had a chance to hear about who Christ is. Uh, a number of these things have already actually been mentioned this morning here in the church. The first is prayer. Prayer is something that we should all be involved in. Let me back up just again. I want to restate one thing. We are all called to be part of this great movement of reaching out to those who have not heard the name of Jesus Christ. There are no exceptions in this. If you're a Christian, God has commanded that you be involved in this process of missions. There are three ways that we can do it, we can look at. One is prayer, and we should all be involved in prayer. Uh, a number of things have been mentioned here this morning already. I've been impressed within the church how many times prayer has been mentioned. But if I was to, if I, I'm not going to do this, but if I was to ask everybody here, if I was to take a survey and I'd say, how many here spend um, 20 minutes a day praying for the lost? I wonder how many hands I'd have. Okay, let's say that's too much. Okay, five minutes a day. I wonder how many here, if I was to say, do you pray at all every day for those that don't know Christ? How many would be unable to raise their hand? And yet that's something that all of us can do. All of us can pray every day that God would somehow reach to those that have not heard, those who have not had. In fact, all of us should be doing that. Uh, we can, maybe, maybe you say, well, I, I really don't know how to go about that. I mean, that seems like kind of a big job. But, but maybe just, just one person that God would put on your heart. We, we, you have a list, I don't have it with me, of all the missionaries that your church supports. Maybe taking one of those people and saying, you know, every day I'm going to pray for this person. And you sit there and say, but what do I pray for the missionary? Well, you need to get to know them a little bit. 
I know all of the SIM missionaries that your church supports. I receive their prayer letters on a regular basis. And uh, Becca, right out, has some special prayer requests this week. I do have Becca, right? Okay, I want to make sure. He keeps me straight on these things. There's too many write-outs. I, I just, you know, <laughs> kind of like lemmings, just all over the place. And uh, they're heading in one direction. But uh, <clears throat> Becca has some special prayer requests this week. How many of you know what that are? Anybody have an idea? She's, you know, you were there. You don't, you can't count. Okay, she's in charge of the field. She's in charge of Niger. And this is not a good week in Niger because a YWAM missionary just Friday was kidnapped. Two guards that were with him were killed. Now, you say, wait, that's not SIM, that's YWAM. But he was a friend of many of the SIM missionaries. His wife is here in the States. And Becca, while the director was, is no longer in the country, he's off some other missions, Becca's in charge. And when something like this happens, uh, there's all kinds of questions that begin to boil to the surface and do need, things need to be done. Becca needs your prayers this week that she would have wisdom in what's happening. This young man from YWAM that's been kidnapped um, by people that don't have good intentions for him and who knows what the Lord has in mind here, but he needs to be prayed for that God would protect him and watch over him and that he might be able to witness to those that he's with. He has a wife that's here in the States. I mean, how many of you this week, just for, just for the next three, four days, would be willing to say, you know, I will pray. I don't know the name of this YWAM fellow, but I will pray for him for the next three, four days that God might release him, that God would bring strength to his family, that God might touch the hearts of those that have, that have captured him. All of us can do that. And we need to be involved in prayer. And one of the ways to become involved in prayer is to become involved in knowing what prayer needs are that people have. It's so important. The second thing, now all of you, if I can say, all of you are called to be involved in prayer one way or another. That's just base that, that we can all do. Some of you are called to support. We, we have a, another SIM couple here today. Uh, we've got a lot of SIM people. I can't track, keep track of them all. Tyler and... Jessica Mallard. You're from Seattle, Canada? It's from all over the place, I understand it. Okay? That's why I don't know who they are. They're, they're, but, but here, again, is, an, is another couple, and I, and I don't know their story, okay? But the average couple today to raise support to go overseas, if they have two kids, the average between mission agencies is about two years. And that's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. And yet it has to be done. But so God is calling some of you to be involved in supporting. We have the, the pledge business that's starting up. Some of you are looking at that and thinking, well, should I be involved? I don't know if I should be involved in that or not. Well, maybe you need to pray about it and say, you know, would God actually have me involved in making a pledge of some type to the church here? By the way, I do want to say something on pledges just since we're there and we've got a couple minutes left. If you make a pledge, you need to be sure and keep it. I was in a rather large, excitable church in, on, down on Long Island a few years ago, and they, uh, first time, the year before, was the first time they were going to do pledges. And everybody was excited, and they, were, they said, this is neat, let's all be involved in it. And so I don't know what the figure was, it was probably half a million dollars in pledges that was given. And uh, when I was there, they, you know, they'd received about 80,000 bucks, and they were saying, you know, if you make a pledge, please, you know, keep... But... Maybe that's one way that you can be involved 
and helping to support missionaries in various ways or mission organizations. God has given each of us here, even though we may not think that we're wealthy, God has given each of us great wealth. And he gives us wealth not just to enjoy ourselves, but to do his work. And so one of the things that we can become, ways we can become involved in missions is through support. I might mention, if you were to sit there and say to me, well, which group of people, let's say wealthy people, um, middle class people, poor people, I'll let you decide where those lines are, which group tends to be the most faithful? Oh, let's bisect it. We've got married couples, men, women, widows. Which of those groups do you think would be the most faithful in giving? Widows, middle, lower class. Those ladies, they just they give and they give and they give. Now, we need people from all of them. But, and, and never think, I, I have so little, it doesn't amount to anything. Again, what God has given you and what he puts on your heart to support, then you should do that, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. The third, third thing that we can do so we can pray, we can support, I need to move along, is we can go. And I suspect there may be a few here. Now, this does not apply to everyone. Prayer applies to everyone. Really, support should apply to everyone. But going, what about going? Now, when I say go here, I want to I make sure that we do understand what we mean by going. Because it used to be, to become a missionary, what would you do? You know, you got a Bible, you got a pith helmet, and you got on a ship, and you went someplace where they ate things that nobody here wants to eat, okay? That was what a missionary was. And, and things have changed, okay? People don't own pith helmets anymore. Uh, they still have Bibles, although oftentimes they're on their phone, and you get on a plane. But when we're talking about missions today, we're talking cross-cultural missions. And so it could well be that while some of you, God may be calling to some exotic land where they eat things that you don't want to eat here, it could well be that you're called to work with the various people group here in the area, in the greater Boston area. So we need to be careful on that, that we don't, and sometimes we tend to, look down on those that stay but are working with the people group here in the Boston area and those that go overseas. They're, they're real missionaries. But this is, this is whatever it is. Again, God brings the people groups, and we need to go to them, whether they're here or there. Okay, real rapidly, four questions to ask. Is God calling me to missions or not? First question is not a fair question. I'm going to ask it. Do you have a skill or gift that God can use in reaching out to others? The answer is yes, every one of you do. Okay, that's why it's not fair, but it is an important question. Do you have a skill or gift? And oftentimes we, uh, we, we forget that skills or gifts, they may be professional things like, you know, I'm an accountant or I'm an engineer or something like that. We need a pilot, uh, you know, we do need people with those skills. But sometimes people have skills that, that we don't think of as skills. In Abidjan, we have a very successful uh, program working with prostitutes. And when somebody comes out of prostitution, they've got to make a living somehow. And so we had a lady there, a missionary lady. She wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do, but she enjoyed sewing. And so she started a ministry where she taught these girls that were coming out of prostitution how to sew to make dresses to be able to sell so they could support themselves. You know, all of you have various skills that can be used in one way or another. Let me give you just one. I'll give, let me give you another story. Give me just a couple minutes. One more story. Uh, we have had in, it's in Niger. We needed a doctor, and we found a lady, a German lady that was a surgeon. And so we said, 
come on to Niger. And she said, I'd love to come. And she said, can I bring my husband? And we said, well, you've got to bring your husband. So she dragged her husband along. And her husband, he was a painter. Now, I don't mean a house painter. He was actually a very successful painter. He's well-known in Europe. Uh, he was one of those guys that kind of throws paint on the wall, you know, and maybe tosses a tire up against it, you know, or, you know, we'll have you stand and we'll throw paint across. It's something that you kind of get the idea. That's what he did. We had no idea what to do with this guy. And so Serge, you know, off she goes, and here we got this painter standing around with his brushes and his paint. What do we do? Took a container and put an air conditioner in it, a door and a window, and said, go to it. And so off he is. He's doing his painting thing in there, and he, he makes friends with a young Touareg man. And they become friends. And, and the Touareg, after several months, comes up and says, hey, my people, my people are, are nomadic. Touaregs are very difficult to reach because they're never in the same place. You can't run a 12-week Bible study because they're only there for weeks one and two. And, you know, two years later we can get to three and four, but it's difficult. And so he says, would you like to come and see my people? And he says, well, I don't know. You know they're way up in the desert, and uh, to be honest, the government isn't real happy with this particular group, and, and the guy said, no, 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 come, come. And so he says, okay, finally. So they take a bunch of his paintings, again, modern-type art, all Christian modern art, if you can imagine that, tosses it in the back of his truck, and off they go up into the desert. And so here they are in the desert with these Tuaregs, really fierce guys. And, and, uh, and of course, all the Tuareg, he, he's, he's showing this modern art to these Tuareg guys. And, of course, all these Tuaregs have taken art appreciation one, two, and three. They can understand, you know, neo-Renaissance and all, whatever, you know. And three or four of them came to Christ. Now, I, I don't understand that, okay? That's not the way it's supposed to work. And yet, here was, a, here was, a, here was gifts that this man was willing to use. So be careful when you think, I don't have gifts. All of you have gifts that can be used one way or another in missions. So the first question is, is do I have gifts? Is there a place? And you go to any agency and you say, this is what I do. Do you have a place where I could use you could be used? And um, most agencies will say yes. If you get no from everybody, come to me and we'll find a place where you can use those, okay? Sometimes you have to be a bit creative. The next question is the most important, and this applies only to some of you here, but it is an important question, and that is, do I have a reoccurring conviction that I should be using this gift in missions? Now, I know that many of you here today, and it's not saying anything against you, pray, give, okay, but we've gotten to the third thing. Some of you sitting here today, and this means absolutely nothing to you because you don't have any conviction that you should be using. You're saying, I believe I'm where God wants me, and God bless you. If you're where God wants you, then you need to stay there. But some of you are sitting there saying, you know, gee, every time they preach on missions, you know, my ears kind of perk up, and I think, should I be involved in that? Or, wow, this sounds really interesting. And if that's happening, it could well be that that's the Holy Spirit working in your life, that God is gently pushing you out there. The fourth question is, is, is God opening the door? And again, if you're, if you're thinking, maybe, you know, I got these gifts and there's places I can use them, and I keep thinking maybe I should do that, then, then push on a door and see if God will open it. You know, God is able to keep the doors closed. If he wants you here working in the Boston area, then he's able to help you see that. But all too often we don't bother to push on the door to see if it's open for all kinds of personal reasons. 
and yet that door is open, and there are all kinds of places that you can use that. God is doing something marvelous in the world today. We, we live in a time when more people are coming to Christ than any time in history. In, in the future, in heaven, people are going to look back and they're going to say, wasn't that an exciting time to live? You know, people come to Christ all over the place. And uh, that, that's the day that we live in. God is doing something marvelous. He's drawing, to himself, he's drawing to himself a people as he never has before. He's drawing people from every culture, every tribe, every language, and they're going to glorify his name forever. The question we have to ask ourselves today, each one of us personally needs to ask ourselves, is what part do I have to play in this? Because I should be playing one of the parts. Am I called to prayer? Am I called to give? Or, or maybe, maybe is God calling me to go? I don't know which of those three that God is calling you to. But each of us needs to ask ourselves, what is God calling me to? We need to be careful to remember that we don't want to remain in our towers in such a wonderful time of opportunity when God is doing so much in the world and he's called us to be part of that. May the Lord bless you.